Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Derailed Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Fred. Yeah. Fred, welcome back to your own house. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I like it's to welcome you. Good to be you. here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have you settled in okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How long have you been here now? Oh, quite a while, quite a while. <laughs> okay, nice. I've settled in pretty well myself. So. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, welcome back, guys. Um, episode 17. 17 is my favorite number. Oh, really? That's a fun fact. It's prime. It is prime. What else is cool about it? <sighs> it was my number in school when I played basketball in school. Oh, okay. 17 was my number. And I've lived in quite a few houses now where my number is 17. Oh, wow. Yeah, hmm. even my current one. So, I don't know. It's weird. It has a weird thing for me. It follows yeah. me around. So, yeah. I've just adopted it as my favorite. Okay. I think it's kind of a cool number. Yeah. It's a cool age. It is. Yeah. I guess. Miss those days. Can't drink yet. <laughs> yeah, but who needs drinking when you have school holidays that last <laughs> for months? <laughs> That's true. You can just play games. Yeah. I often wish eh, that we had stuff like 18xx or, I mean, that stuff existed mm. when I was 17, but I wish I'd known about some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I'm not sure if 18xx would have been my thing. I'd like to think that it would have, but I don't really know. But yeah, even like these big sprawling board games, like I just imagine if I had a school holidays and like Twilight Imperium, like how insane I would have gone. Well, we used to do that with things like Monopoly. Like in school holidays, we'd yeah. have a Monopoly game that took like three days. You know, you play for an hour or two and then have dinner and then carry on the next day or whatever. And even with puzzles, like you would build a massive puzzle that took a couple of days. So yeah, you could have easily done that. That's the thing. I played the crappy games. Like yeah, we had long exactly. games of Risk and stuff. Yes. I just wish I had these incredible games yeah. to sink our teeth into. I think it would have been amazing. Yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah. And now we all we don't have as much time and it's like, oh, we should yeah. go back, you yeah. know. I wonder if we would have liked 18xx when we were 17. I feel like you might have. I, I, I might have, yeah. Yeah, you were like Rubik's Cubing and stuff. Yeah. You, know? you were yeah. like into that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was super cool and just like out with girls on that. Oh, not, you were one of the cool It's not true kids. at all, actually. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even keep that going. <laughs> no, I was into skateboarding, actually. That was my thing. Oh, me too. Were you? Yes. Okay. Friend and I built our own quarter pipe. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know you used to skateboard. That's weird. I did, yeah. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that about you either. Yeah, no. For years, we were super into it. We skated every day, me and my friends. Oh, wow. Yeah, me too, man. That's really cool. Goofy okay. or regular? Regular. Yeah, me too. But I was regular, but pushing with the left leg, the, the front leg. So the back, the back foot was on the board. Oh, no, really? Which was, yeah, which was different to most people. Yeah, no, yeah. that's really weird. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely front, left foot forward. That just felt weird to me. It's <laughs> oh, interesting. Eh? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Mm. So you were some kind of a weird in-betweener. Mm. Yes. What is your best trick? Let's throw down right now. I mean, back then we didn't have YouTube or anything. So, and I grew up in a very small town. So the only tr tricks we knew was kind of like passed down from person to person. Right. right. So f for me to Ollie was a pretty big achievement. Yeah. But I, eventually I could Ollie pretty well and then do Ollie 180. I never ever got into the, the kick flips or anything like okay. that. Though. I didn't like the kick flips. I just liked skating. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Ollie 180, I would say was probably. Oh, I, the what was the slide thing called? Like a grind, like on a rail or something. No, not on rails. Where you just do it on the ground. A manual. Was where you like manual? grind your tail on the? Well, mm. you don't actually grind your tail. You, a manual is when you hold up the board and basically balance on two wheels. No, that's not what I think. I'm thinking about. It, it, it's like a slide. It's a quick way to get to a quick stop. Like you just basically, if you're going straight, then you just kind of. Oh, twist right, the board right. 90 degrees to the ground and slide a little bit yeah i don't even i don't know if it has a name even i don't know what would you call that i can't remember what we called it yeah yeah okay 
With soft wheels, you could do that with soft wheels. Yeah, we basically we didn't have YouTube either. I don't think. I mean, might have had. No, when did you YouTube didn't. come out? No, late. Yeah, much later. We did the flips and stuff though. We used to watch those like used to get these like skating magazines and they'd come mm. with like a VHS tape and stuff. Or we used to buy these VHS tapes tapes from somewhere. Oh, from like the skate shops. They used to sell yes. them and stuff. Yeah. yeah. My best trick was a one eighty flip. Oh wow! So that's like a kickflip where the board also rotates one eighty. Wow, that's. Impressive. I could do that more consistently than a kickflip for some reason. Jeez, like found the action easier. Yeah, yeah, I never got into the flips. Yeah, but that that was about as good as we got yeah. with stuff like that. My friends were a bit better than me. But yeah, none of us really did anything super active. But then we'd built some launch ramps and things as well. So getting the hang of those was also yeah. tricky. And the quarter pipe, like even just a drop in on a quarter pipe. Was... Yeah, we never did any of the ramp stuff. Yeah, we had, we had like a ramp that we like would fly up and try and do some stuff over, but never like quarter pipes, half pipes. Mm. Yeah. never got into any of that stuff yeah, yeah it was all street yeah, stuff. yeah we didn't really have access to a half pipe but yeah we built a quarter pipe my friend designed it and we built it in my backyard nice yeah it was cool nice yeah so welcome to episode 17 of the <laughs> skateboarding podcast. <laughs> podcast yeah yeah so we have an email that right there is the mail now let's talk about the mail can we talk about the mail please mac i'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day okay we have an email from jeff uh, but maybe before we talk about Jeff, or maybe while we talk about Jeff, uh, we officially have a Patreon. Yes. Yeah, so you have set that up for us. And I think like we said in the last episode, we kept it super simple. So mm. there's two tiers. There's a $1 supporter tier and a $5 engineer tier. Yes. Um, the engineer tier is access to the private Discord. So yeah, I think the hope there is that we can kind of build a little bit of a podcast community. Um, we think that'll be really fun. It gives us a chance to interact with people, listen to the show, and we can even potentially use that to include elements into the show from that and stuff like that. So I feel like there's a lot of fun stuff we can potentially do with yeah, that. Yeah, we can maybe get some questions through there and stuff. Yeah, questions through there, discussions mm. that we can then get onto yeah. the show as well. So arrange yeah. online games. Yeah, all that kind of jazz. So mm. like we said last time, uh, I'd really don't think the health of the podcast necessarily depends on the patreon no um yeah but if you want to support us obviously that's awesome yeah, yeah. great we appreciate it yes. and yeah i think i'm most excited by the community aspect of it as well i think mm-hmm. that'd be really cool yeah 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 pretty cool so i think we wanted to we wanted to leave the patreon until we kind of felt like we were sort of firmly entrenched in the whole thing like we were going to keep doing it that it mm-hmm. wasn't going to be yeah and i think we've been consistent enough to this point that we kind of feel like yeah we can keep this going and yes, yeah. we want to keep it going so yeah i think we wanted to really feel like we were actually uh, doing something worth supporting <laughs> before yeah. we before we set it up and yeah mm. um we've gotten a lot of really nice feedback from people so yeah i'd like to think that people listen and still enjoy it yeah so that's that okay jeff jeff is actually our very first patreon supporters yes so, thank <laughs> you very jeff. much jeff yeah we hadn't even announced it yet i haven't put it on twitter or anything and and fred was like i don't know if this guy knows what he's clicked on but <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy called jeff i'm like oh jeff jeff sent us an email yeah so jeff is from uh cu falls oh maybe butchering that first word how would you pronounce s-i-o-u-x see you yeah i'm C-I-O, not sure jeff we're sorry but anyway that's in south dakota that's the state that has mount rushmore here's a fun fact that i didn't know because fred I mean, Jeff actually just told me that. Um, yeah, so he is part of a group called the Sufu Choo Choo. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you said they've got about five players who are very active in that, and they've got about another 10 who's sort of dabbling and things like oh, that. Wow. So what I like about we get a lot of these emails, and it seems like there's a lot of little groups all over the world that are sort of growing these 18xx groups. Mm. So... Yeah, I feel like the resurgence is in is in full swing. Yes. So I'm always happy to hear that. Um, yeah, very very cool. So he he 
joked about us um, heading on 1846. I sometimes wonder how many listeners we lost that day. <laughs> Is it one of his favorites? Um, he actually said that he's also kind of moved away from it a little oh, bit. Okay. Yeah, so they've got gotten into other games. And I think, I mean, that was our pattern as well. Um, we, we like it. We, we think it's cool and all. But I won't be surprised if we come back to it one day and then like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think I could totally play it again. I think it's just after those last play or so, but like, ah, hmm. I feel like I'd rather play all these other ones. But yeah. I feel like we could come back to it and, and I'd like to try and aggressively push trains and, and see how yes. that kind of goes. Yeah. So I'm keen to fiddle with it a little bit more. Mm. Um, Me too. But yeah, uh, we definitely don't hate it but i just felt like i wanted more stock shenanigans i feel like maybe yeah. that's the way i tend to lean yeah. so jeff said a couple of his favorites are 1849 mm-hmm. another support of 1849 so we've been getting that a lot a lot of people have listed that as a favorite actually mm. um we're going to talk about that just now because we had a play of that recently um yeah and he was saying the one thing he doesn't like in 86 games is the ones where you can buy up to 100 percent without any restriction on it right yeah yeah which is fair enough yeah i think that can be a little overpowered maybe yeah mm. and he also asked us a south africa question but i'm going to save that for okay later yeah right yeah other favorites of his are 1822 that's a big beastly one oh, there's I've a few variants of it so, yeah there's 1822 ca and 1822 mx um i think mx is getting like the kickstarter treatment or something like that okay. at some point but that's one that can take more than a day sometimes right yeah well i don't think it wouldn't take that long with experienced players but it's pretty beastly yeah okay. i think mx is shorter than the normal Oh. 22 yeah okay but i think the normal 22 can be like an eight to ten hour kind of vibe okay and 18 island which is one i'm so keen to play oh yeah similar to 49 i think i think it's dual gauge and hex trains and um also quite starved okay i think but yeah i'm i'm very keen to, to mm, play i've that seen one. that one mentioned a few times mm. yeah yeah it seems to be also one of those yeah. one of those favorites sounds worth trying for sure so 1849 Mm. yeah we actually had a really good play of that well i thought it was good (laughs) wait yeah let's actually hear from you what were your impressions on 49 coming back for a second time right because your first time if you guys didn't listen to that episode fred's first one was disastrous yes uh just went really really poorly and i can't remember what happened but something terrible happened to you early on and then you could never really claw your way back in yeah second time was no different (laughs) (laughs) it was miserable yeah the second time was my fault though so i lost by quite a margin when i say it was miserable it's not that i didn't like the game it's just my time like my performance was miserable in that game so yeah i made a silly mistake uh there was a point in the game where i really wanted to float my second company because i thought the roots would work well with my first company i didn't want anyone else to take that away from me so even though i didn't have a lot of money i floated it with with the thinking that it doesn't have a route so it won't need to buy a train but i completely ignored the offboard location that it had for some reason so it was i can't remember the name or the color of the company but it was up north on the map and it had an offboard location mm, i feel like it might have been orange maybe could be yeah it was it was the one i floated. it's like the rc rcf something like that yeah rcs i think it's right. orange yeah. yeah yeah so um so i completely missed that it had this offboard location for some reason just didn't pay attention to offboard just looked at the nearest town was one tile away and there was no tile there so i wouldn't have to run it i incorrectly thought but then of course yeah it did 
was able to run a route and then I was forced to buy a train and it was all downhill from there. I was almost bankrupt. <laughs> right then yeah, there. so pretty bad. So the company basically closed immediately because the company went bankrupt. Yeah. Because you couldn't afford to buy the train. Mm. Yeah, which was quite something. So yeah. in 1849, if you go totally bankrupt, you actually get a 500 loan from the bank. Mm. Um, you didn't have to do that because there was a president's share that you couldn't sell. Right. So I still yeah. had so you still had that. It actually would have been better for you, I think, to get the 500, though. It would have, because with 500 at that stage of the game, you could do something with yeah. it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had something like 200 or whatever and some shares that I couldn't sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. My, my game was very, very slow. And, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty painful. There were a couple of things I feel like that went wrong. That was the biggest one. Mm. But there were one or other times as well where the finances just didn't quite work out. Yeah, yeah. And you got kind of eaten up by the brutality yes. of that game. But I remember when you floated, I was like, why are you floating this? You're not going to be able to even buy a train. You know, mm. and you were like, I've got a plan. Just chill. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Do you? And I thought you were going to like buy more shares in that round or something. I thought you were going to sell something or whatever. Well, that's what I wanted to do in the next stock round. Yeah. Because I wanted to earn some money in this current stock round and then in the next stock round buy more shares because this is partial cap. So buy more shares shares in the company to put more money into the company and then be able to buy a train i think that was the plan but yeah but then yeah <laughs> i needed to buy a train immediately which i couldn't so yes yeah and you can't you can't sell shares out of the company in its first operating round oh, which right, was also yes. the problem yeah. yeah so you couldn't do that in order to in order to buy a train for mm, it yeah womp womp yes so that's yeah didn't go well for me yeah okay so Back to your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting was Rudy, uh, the worst CEO, who actually wasn't that bad because he came third. Yes. Close third as well. Yeah. Simon did well. He was second. Simon did well. Simon did well with an investor strat, which yes. was pretty cool to see. So he did never floats at a single company that whole game. Yeah. Um, he, never, came, he never ran a company. He was yeah. never president. Yeah. Never president, never did anything in an operating round except observe yeah. and heckle us about yeah. our decisions. No, I'm jealous because... I've always wanted to do that. And he did well with it. Yeah, he did do well. He did do well, which was interesting to see as well. Mm. I always like it when investor strats do well. He didn't win. I ended up winning that one. Um, I had a decent lead over him, but I had a, I had one of those games where everything kind of flowed right. relatively well. Like it, it went pretty well. Mm. Uh, it was kind of a weird game in, in the sense that the trains went really stalled out at one point. Mm. So no one wanted to buy kind of like the poison six or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Cause what I've noticed about 49 is that the train jumps are, are very quick. Mm. So it goes like two, four, six, eight, but then it will sort of be like sixes rust the twos and the eights rust the fours and, Mm. and you get through them very, very quickly. So those rusted, there's more rusting jumps than normal. Right. And they, and they rust pretty quickly as well yeah. and those are hex trains so it's like a two hex and a six yes hex or whatever, yeah. yeah so yeah. instead of counting the number of stations you count literally the number of hexes you go yeah um depending on if it's narrow gauge or standard gauge, standard gauge yeah. yeah so no one really wanted to buy that six the only reason i didn't really want to buy it was because i didn't want to get train locked at three i wanted to buy the 10 and i wanted to have an opportunity to buy the 10 Hmm. Um, but then it was quite irritating because you guys were sitting with these trains that I couldn't rust. Hmm. And I was like, ah, like it was such a weird situation. Cause I was like, one of you should buy this because I'm going to rust your other ones. But at the same time, 
I wasn't committing to rusting your train. So it kind of made sense to mm. then force me to buy it. So there's this weird like back and forth. Like you kept saying, you keep trying to make us buy this shitty train. Like no one wants it or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, I guess I am. But like, I do feel like it's good for you. But also it's only good for you if you if I do the thing that you think I'm going to do. Yes. But you don't think I'm going to do that. Yeah. And I'm actually not doing that. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, yeah, I couldn't figure out whether or not I was giving bad advice or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the advice was good for for you and for us but it's yeah yeah yeah. but it's i think for us specifically it was better not to do it yeah it was kind of a weird situation because i always try and not give bad advice that benefits me i don't want to be that guy um so i thought i was giving good advice that also benefited me but then i was like hmm yeah i think maybe i'm lying here maybe i'm actually not like no i think just because you were clearly in the lead we didn't want to do anything that benefited you ah that makes sense yeah Yeah. so even if it's mutually beneficial yeah yeah and and i just needed to suck it up and bite myself already it was what it came down to but anyway right before i did that someone i think rudy then Mm. ended up buying and then we pushed them super fast from there yeah. then suddenly they all got rusted because i realized that i could really hurt you guys by just rusting all these trains and put you in some tough positions mm. so from there i pushed it super fast i opened your company that closed yeah and that was to buy the 16 which is the last train in line yeah so that's an interesting thing maybe for people who haven't really played a game like this i don't know how common it is but in this game companies can close uh so instead of the CEO or president is going bankrupt, the company can close and then it goes back into the pool of companies that are able to float again. So mine closed early on and then you floated it again towards the end of the game. Wasn't there another company that closed as well? Or it was it just the been, one? Yeah. I can't remember now. The one that closed definitely was the one that, yeah, that you messed mm. up that route for that you didn't yeah. realize. Yeah. Rudy really enjoyed it though. So this was Rudy's first player of 49. Yes. Um, and he said his favorite 18xx so far. Yeah, which I was kind of surprised about because his game didn't go too smoothly either. He had mm. some precarious situations, um, but he found them very interesting and loved it. So that's good. Yeah, I think Rudy's the kind of guy, he comes. He really loves like a heavy Euro, the more complex yeah. the better. So I think he liked having more little intricacies and nuances yes. and stuff like that yeah. to the game. I really think we should play Rhineland with him. Yes, yeah. Because that has also quite a few different things that he hasn't seen yet. Definitely. Yeah. I really want to play 49 again now as well and try mm. and yeah, figure I'm, it out. Like, even though my my game or my play was miserable, I, I'm fine to play it again, yeah. Because we had that one person email in once saying that their worst ever 18xx experience was their first player of 49 and yes. their best ever experience was their second player of 49. Yeah, I haven't had that <laughs> best experience yet. I'm keen to get Third it. Third time's the charm. I'm yeah. keen to get it. So I really enjoyed this one. I enjoyed this more than our first one mm. um, and I really, really liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah so I guess it's going to bump it up the rankings. Where was it for me? Like number five? I guess I'll have to shift it. Could be, yeah. To number four at least. Yeah. I need to revisit my top five and figure out what goes where at the moment. Yeah. But yeah, I'll pump it up a couple more. Let's go 89, Cologne, 49. Let's bump it up to number three. Okay, wow. For now, yeah. Sure, that's good. For now. I think it deserves that spot. Yeah. I really like it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm very stoked to try that again. Yeah, I'm keen to try it again. I'm not going to change it on my... Don't remember where it was on mine, but I haven't had, like, my amazing play of it yet. Yeah. Even though I can see the potential is there, I... Yeah. It's a tricky game. It's a very tricky game. But the fact that the companies float in different orders and stuff every game is is very interesting. That is interesting, yeah. I like that. And I think that changes a lot in terms of how everything shakes out. So, yeah, yeah, I'm interested to see. So, Mm. something I did differently in this one was 
Um, I, I bought that private that lets you sort of, as soon as you buy the private, you float a company immediately mm. um, because you trade it in for the president's share of any company. And they float at 20%. They float at the president's share. Yeah. So what was interesting about that was you can choose whether you want to float it at 65, something like that, uh, 66. They're weird numbers. 67, I think it is actually or 100 right yes. and the private costs 150 mm. and so i was kind of i mean oh, and you're like surely you're going to float it at 100 because then you make money on buying the private because then you make money on buying the private right i realized i'd kind of break even otherwise mm. because i get one cycle of revenue which would take the 135 up to 150 um so i'd kind of break even if i floated it at the the normal amount and i ended up floating it at the 67 mm. Part of the reason for doing that was because I wanted to try and close it potentially. Okay. I was interested to see how that worked, like if I could get it to close. Mm. So like sell it off and then it would be closer to the close. Because once you get to like basically you can call it zero on the stock market, Mm. it closes to the most bottom left corner. Um, So I was thinking about trying to do that, which made me want to float it for lower. I also wanted to allow people to buy in in the first round. Right. Yeah. And for it to make sense as an investment, that was also part of wanting to kind of dump it or mm. close it or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was right or not. Well, you didn't end up closing it. No, I didn't end up closing mm. it because it kind of did some good stuff and then it didn't really make sense to close it. And mm. yeah, I can't remember what happened. I think so many people bought into it. That's why I then couldn't really close it because I couldn't actually sell. I didn't have as big of a piece of it as I expected yes. to have. I had like 30 or 40% of it or something like that. Um, so I couldn't yeah. really try to close it. I did end up selling it though, just to tank the share price a little bit and then float something else if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah. I think I passed it over to someone. Potentially, mm, might have passed it to Rudy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I might have passed it on to Rudy. Yeah, but that yeah. was kind of interesting. And I wonder about that. Like, I wonder what the scenarios are in which you should float that at sixty-seven. I also wonder if there's no scenario in which you float at sixty-seven, if you should always float it at a hundred. I don't think there's ever an always in eighteen XX. Probably not. Yeah, <laughs> like that's something I've learned. Um, yeah, there are always weird situations. I think where different things make sense. I think the only time where you make it close to an always is with something like privates and early floats and stuff. But I suppose, mm. yeah, I guess it depends entirely. Also, like you see, yeah, in this game, there's a big variable in that the company you can float is whatever the first company is. Yes. So that private is very, kind, very kind of different every play. Yeah. Which means there's not going to be an always for that. I yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. So I actually had an interesting conversation. Um, so I'm, I've said mentioned it before. I'm part of the Cardboard Reality podcast. They have a Slack channel mm. uh, for their Patreon tier, $5 thing. Um, and there's a guy on there called Lorcan, who I chat to quite a lot. He's from Australia, 18xx player. So he had listened, he listens to our podcast and he was talking about the 1849 episode that we did previously. Okay. So he said some stuff in defense of dual gauge track. So can I just say, like, the first time I played 49, the dual gauge, full gauge thing was much more of a big deal, I think, than it was for me this time. Okay. Like so more I, uh, like cognitive overhead. Yeah, I found it much easier to deal with this time than right. the first time. So I think it's probably something you get the hang of. Yeah, definitely. Out. Yeah. Um. So I'm just going to read parts of his message. He says, I think the interesting thing about the different gauges is a product of the tile mix, which is frustrating when you're not planning around it, which I think is a problem part of our first game as well. Mm. Um. So he says, all the city and junction tracks have a mix of both gauges and set patterns, which means the decisions you're making around what gauge to use have a whole host of downstream impacts you're also determining what a number of other legs into and out of that tile are going to be for a good chunk of time Mm. this can mean you start to limit the decisions of other players as they build track nearby 
It also gives you interesting trade-offs to make in terms of cost and reach of the train, but it can work in your favor. Standard gauge is great, but nothing says you have to run one gauge your whole route, since you can change its stops, so you can find efficient ways of setting up longer routes that take advantage of both gauges. I think that's something that I almost want to try and process more or do more, is sort of like, I'm going to have a six train. If I build this here, that's four hexes, plus this is another two, mm. and that's a great thing. Then I'm going to jump from there to a 10. How far does that get me? Because you can mm. probably plan around this quite well yes in which you can determine whether or not the the narrow gauge is actually going to limit you at all mm. then you can go one step beyond that where you think about limiting other players i'm going to have an eight but he's going to have a six mm. if i build it this way i'll be able to get there but he won't yeah you know so i think that it's one of those things where once you've done the hard work of processing what all these things are yeah. then you can go that level up right but I, but i think you can also limit people not just in what according to what train they have but like he says by you building a tile a specific tile at a town you might prevent them from being able to connect to that if they have like a, a half gauge route at the moment heading towards that town or city Depending on which tile you lay there, you might make it so that they're not able to connect directly. Yes, um, absolutely. Unless they take a little bit of a detour or something. So I think you, I can see how you can definitely get to know the tiles quite well and know that if I put this this bend here, this in future means that these things are possible kind of thing and these things are not. So yeah. And I think I like what he said about set patterns because I think that ties into our last episode we did. Was it? No, the episode before that was about tile laying. Episode 15. Yes. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, so episode 15 we did about tiling. One of the things we mentioned there was sort of learning the setup of the tiles, mm. learning the patterns of that yeah. particular game. So these ones, they all have these particular set patterns. Right. You don't have to know every tile. If you know what those patterns are, you know how you can manipulate them. And it takes a lot of that cognitive load away yes. from it. Yeah. So like you're saying, you can say... I'm going to put the junction in here that goes standard gauge this way for me, but narrow gauge towards that guy mm. or two narrow gauges that stick out in that direction, yeah. which is going to make it really hard for him to X, Y, Z. Yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely do that. The other thing you can do, this is a rule that I got wrong. Okay. So listen to this last part. And I've, I chatted to him about this and confirmed that we did get this wrong. You can also use it as a weapon as you're allowed to build different gauges into each other, but no route can be traced along that leg. So you can destroy people's roots with the right tile. Oh, so you're actually allowed to, to build yes. the tile. Oh. So I misinterpreted that rule because in the rule book it says something like you can build a tile into another tile of a different gauge so that no root can be traced along that, something like that. And I thought what it was saying is you can build into the side of it, but you can't build into it if you can't trace a root along it. Right, yeah. The only rule is that you have to build a track that you can use part of the new tile that you place. Right. So what that means is, let's say we both shared a narrow gauge line. I can't stick a standard tile at the end of it because I can't get to it. I can't run across the narrow gauge into that standard gauge tile, right? But if I'm coming from a different direction to you, mm. I can build a standard gauge tile directly into your narrow gauge tile so that the lines actually meet and touch. Because I can technically use that new piece of track that i just built but it's not going to go anywhere it's not going to go anywhere but i can use it your train can kind of get to it i can get to it exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. you can trace a route to it okay and that's all that matters so now we end up with a scenario where narrow gauge runs straight into standard gauge and that route is destroyed for both of us yeah. and it's, probably permanently yeah i mean yeah. you could upgrade to green or whatever and then try fork out of it Hmm. Okay, interesting. Pretty brutal. So that is the potential to really potentially destroy someone else's route. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily a simple thing to do because you do have to actually run a route. You have to kind of destroy one of your own routes as well in order to do it. 
Well, yeah, but that might not be a route that you were planning to use anyway. No, so, absolutely yeah. not, yeah. yeah. So it's not like you can just sort of willy-nilly be destroying everyone's routes and not a free-for-all, but with the right tile at the right time, mm. you really can hinder someone quite a okay. lot. Interesting. Yeah, so that is quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for that, Lorcan. I appreciated that. Um, some good points in regarding the decision space of that. But again, it's one of those things, I think in the beginning, it's cognitive load and you're just like, what is this? What's the point of this? Like, I get it. Yeah, it's cheaper and it goes less far. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of level one. Yeah. And then you go beyond that. And once you've internalized all of it, you can see more of how you can manipulate and how you can work within yeah. and be planning ahead. Like, yeah. I have an A train. He has a six train. Mine can reach it. His can't if I build narrow gauge out of here. Because mm. I think it's especially when you start mixing gauges yes. at towns and stuff, that's when you can really start messing with the maths oh very cool not easy to do but Mm. yeah once you've internalized all of that Mm. yeah it's one of those slightly more advanced things that even if you did know it in your first play you probably wouldn't be able to take advantage of it yeah absolutely okay so again i really found that when we played 89 over and over again it just felt like I sort of was discovering more and more and sort of messing with it more and more. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was quite interesting. So, yeah, I actually, I got a message from uh, JC as well, JC Lawrence, <laughs> about our 89 talk or whatever. So he doesn't like, he doesn't like my my fantastic port opening. <laughs> okay. Well, we saw in, in our play, our two-player play, where I had that opening, that it's definitely not a broken opening. Yes. You, I mean, you very, very almost won that game. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think the reason that he doesn't necessarily like it is because i think that in his games the four trains are pushed even faster right so you don't get the, that big payoff from the twos or whatever and it's not worth it mm. i think his big concern was like yeah you get one or two hits with the two trains mm. but then you have a token that's useless yes. and i agree that token is very useless yeah once you get the bigger trains you don't need yeah. that token so there at all on that map that token is very very crap i would say and it doesn't really do anything at all yeah what else did he have to say i'm just okay so he said something so he gave us an he gave us an exercise um no but he said an exercise you assume that the sellable privates in a four-player game of 1830 are each worth about 140 percent of their face value that's actually not that far from the truth now figure out a model for why that's maybe true so for me i think that the highest value of privates is just your ability to essentially sell them for double Mm. so i suppose it comes down to how much you value money from the treasury that you have helped to create so let's say that so i I don't think i understand the question so a private is worth 140 percent of its face value meaning when you buy it you should be willing to pay up to 140 percent right okay yeah okay Uh, i think it kind of makes sense in this sense so let's say you sell a private at for double its value which is what you should always be selling it to your company for Mm. if you can right so that you're making 200 percent. you're selling it for 200 percent of its value yeah now let's say from there we subtract 50 percent from that because half of that money in the treasury is yours that you put in yourself right okay so now that's about 150 percent value Mm. which means that about 140 percent Mm. is basically the cutoff when you're getting value from it right that's just my guess when you're not making a loss yeah Yeah, that's just my guess yeah Uh, so that is why i would guess that it's around 140 percent of its face value that it's worth to you okay that's interesting yeah the way i've been thinking about it just by myself we haven't spoken about this but so the way that i've been valuing privates is to take into account their first uh their first payment because you'll you'll always get one or at least where the company pays 
to you personally? I think two at least, because you can only sell them in the green phase. So let's say you got to green in the first RR. The second RR, you sell them, but you'll get at the beginning of that RR, you'll get the... Okay. So you'll get at least two right, okay. payments off. So it, you yeah. could, like, let's say the private is going for 65 and it pays 10. Like you could add, you could pay up to 85 for that and at least break even. Yeah. When you sell it to yourself, then you make much more than break yes. even. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first bought privates, we didn't do any bidding and stuff at all. I remember. Our no, we just outright bought them at face value. Yeah. And, oh, the top one. Yeah, sure. I'll take it. Next yeah. Person. Okay, I'll take this one. <laughs> We'd maybe bid five. Someone would bid like 10. We're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. no way. You're you overpaying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're getting more aggressive in that initial stock round. Yeah, so I said to JC that we had that bit of an aha moment early on when we realized that a huge part of the value of privates was extracting double their value. Mm. And he says, yeah, even exactly, even the port in 1889, the tile power is almost irrelevant. Right. <laughs> How rude. Yeah. <laughs> I like the tile power. I still like it. I still like it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree what he's saying, though, that... No, but you should make use of it as long as it works in against us we, yeah we must find a way against it. that's so. true yeah and jc says yeah yeah it usually only runs once before the two trades all rust essentially mm. effectively wasting all that capital and as a silly token you'll spend the rest of the game wishing weren't there yeah so a good way for us to counteract your play there is to just push the trains yeah i think so as well mm-hmm. yeah so uh, he, what he said here was that to think about how how many times each rank of trains actually runs and pays. Right. Yeah, which may be different in our games than in other people's games. Yeah, I think ours are still a little bit slower. We're still slower to push the trains than, than JC is, I'm sure. So. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Especially in that 49 game. Yeah, so we get a bit more value out of the cheap trains. Right. And he says, yeah, that in general, paying twice is about the break-even point. For a train. Uh, yeah, I think for like a return on investments. Right. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he says, right, is resting faster or even resting before they ever run? happens not so rarely for two trains is a loss so he says paying more often is a horrendous loss as someone is getting way 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 too much advantage controlling that balance is everything Hmm. yeah so did you learn anything about incremental cap with this play i think that the biggest thing one of the biggest things for me about incremental cap that i feel like is something i probably need to explore more is i think we do not issue shares enough from the company to the selling market. shares from the company mm. i think potentially you can get we always consider incremental cap to almost be slower in terms of how quickly trains mm. are bought i think it can potentially be a lot faster mm. yeah and i think in in our last play like rudy and simon were buying your shares yeah so they kind of made it unnecessary for you to do that they were putting money into your treasury whereas i was trying to not buy your shares because i didn't want to give you money but maybe i should because you could just sell that that share to the to the market and and like we learned with 46 is is it is kind of an attack because if the players don't buy those shares you can choose when to sell them and you can sell them once the stock price has gone up yeah and that's the part i really need to figure out Mm. like should you be buying people's shares early because then they don't have to sell them right and then they don't tank their stock price but they get less for them than they would if they waited exactly an hour or two and also they're sharing their shares with you so they're not only like 60 percent of it but i mean if you imagine one of these standard patterns so let's say you buy like 40 50 percent of a company in the first stock round Mm. i'm sure the the value numbers are a little bit different with incremental cap but let's kind of assume you can do something in that range right 
and then you immediately sell your i mean i don't know it just feels like you can get a lot of money really really quickly because you can sell them later on so yeah. it's kind of so not immediately but you wait yes. like let's say two hours of it going up and then you sell them yeah that's a huge amount of money you, you could yeah you could definitely in an incremental cap game get more than 100 percent of the power value yeah for all of the shares exactly like if you if if you in a full cap game you par at 60 65 your treasury is going to be 650 in an incremental cap game your effective treasury can be more than six, 650 if you par at 65 by just waiting an hour or two and then selling the remaining shares at a higher price yeah so yeah it is it is an interesting way that you can actually get more money in under your control yeah and, and that's a good point right if you par at 67 in a full cap game you will get 670. Yeah. That is the most you will ever get into that company's treasury. Yeah. Aside from aside from privates earning money or dividends or like paying. transfers and, yeah. and whatever, yeah. right? Or like dividends from the yeah. bank or whatever, but just purely on share sales. Yes. Yeah. yeah, purely on the the sort of regular the regular stuff, yeah, the the initial floating kind of stuff. Yeah. Whereas yeah, so that is then a pretty big attack even in 49 as well. Yeah. If someone buys all your shares, they're limiting the amount of capital you can get later on. Yeah. And then if the trains are being pushed quickly, it can put you in a tough spot. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, we'll need to play again. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, so it's 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 interesting on whether it's helpful or hurtful. Yeah, and how forty nine changes that equation because we sort of saw in forty six buying people's shares early, and and I assume it must work in in kind of a similar way. But mm. I think the thing with forty nine is that it's so expensive to do a lot of the stuff. Mm. You need that early capital. Yeah, and it can push you out into a lead. Whereas in forty six, you don't need a lot of capital early at all. No, you don't need a lot of capital early at all. So you can kind of very quickly get where you need to go and then mm. you know start running routes and increasing your share price you don't really want that much investment early yeah hmm yeah definitely gonna have to play that again yes for sure yeah yeah so th i think that's interesting in terms of the partial cap stuff and how it's how it works out yeah did you learn anything <laughs> um, not to start no, a company so you can't buy a trade that, for. that's yeah that's my most disappointing thing is because my play was so miserable i didn't really learn anything about incremental cap <laughs> and need to pay attention to off portraits <laughs> you were too busy trying to stay alive yes yeah yeah okay yeah cool man Shall so we move sh on? should we talk about some south africa stuff yes what was jeff's question so jeff's question was i'm just going to go back to the email so i can read it to you he said oh he also made a comment about the vuvuzela oh okay. so it's been the elephant in the room but it needs to be discussed <laughs> specifically when i was watching the 2010 world cup i'm not saying you owe us an apology or anything but yeah <laughs> no, 2010 world cup vuvuzelas were extreme they were yeah they started to get banned towards the end didn't they i think they did yeah yeah yeah, those things are noisy. I, I don't know if we should explain for people who maybe don't know what a vuvuzela is. Right. It's basically like a, a plastic trumpet looking thing mm. that you blow through. It has one note effectively. Yeah. You just blow through this thing and it makes this super loud, annoying noise. It sounds like an elephant trumpeting. It's like... Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you can do a little bit of things by, you know, controlling yeah. your how quickly you blow through it and stuff. But it's very, very loud for, for what it is, yeah. So, yeah, 20, 2010 Soccer World Cup uh, was known for the Vuvuzela in South Africa because so many people in the crowds had them and were making massive noise. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like it, but I, I get it. It didn't become a bit much. Elephant in the room is perfect. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> yeah. it sounds like one. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, 
in general we have quite a lot of we often have music and stuff at um at sports matches yeah so in pe where where i'm from there's this um brass band that comes to like every cricket game and they're oh, famous yeah. and they set up in the back there and like the cheap seats they set up this whole brass band and they go wow oh, wow yeah they're always playing stuff and yeah so they become like a real feature that's awesome of the thing that's pretty cool that's actually fun to listen to yeah Vuzela's mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah does get grating after a while (laughs) yeah so jeff's question was he says so district nine is set in johannesburg that and invictus are probably the two films that come to mind portraying south africa any other films or tv you'd recommend that show off your homeland well so in reality our aliens are much friendlier than they are in (laughs) district nine yeah (laughs) any other they are they're actually like i feel like the the afrikaans film market is actually growing Mm. like we we get some afrikaans films uh on the regular film circuit now books as well so some of them are, are based on books so like you know the one that immediately comes to mind is like Kringer and a boss, right. which is set in Neisner about elephants. <laughs> yeah, there's some famous, there's some famous books and stuff. So a couple of movies came to mind for me. Mm-hmm. The first one that came to mind was The Gods Must Be Crazy. Oh, which wow. is pretty famous. That's a good movie in South yeah. Africa. I don't know if it has much. If it's much known overseas at all, I don't know. I don't it's know. If very can famous, even get yeah. It. So basically, um, the sort of one of the indigenous tribes of South Africa is called the the Khoisan, right? It is the San, hey, in the movie. Yeah, it's the I San. can't remember which tribe. It is. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the San. So the San are super, super isolated. So they're not. Um, just sort of like indigenous African people, they're like a very, very remote tribe. They live out in the deserts and no access to technology, anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very, very isolated. So basically in the movie, there's a plane flying overhead um, and a guy throws a Coke bottle out of the window. Yes. Um, he just finishes drinking his Coke and he throws a bottle out it's the window. It's an oldish movie, right? 80s. 1980, something. yeah. So it's when we like you would buy a Coke and it would be in those like iconic Coke-shaped bottles. Yes, those yeah. little glass bottles. Yeah. So yeah. someone chucks this. Obviously, it lands in the sand uh, so it doesn't break. And this guy finds it. Yeah, like no in a, idea, in a desert, yeah. No idea what this is, right? No familiarity with glass, Coke, anything, right? So he takes it back to kind of the tribe and it causes this huge fight because everyone's mm. fighting over this thing. They think it could be like magic or they, they think the gods have sent them this, right? Because yes. it dropped out of the sky. So it's this whole thing and it causes all this fighting in the tribe. So this one guy takes it upon himself to return this thing to where mm. it came from or whatever. Yeah, I must actually watch that again because I was very young when I saw yeah. it. Yeah, so he goes on like a pilgrimage, basically. and it's a comedy, right? It's a funny movie. Oh yeah, he ends up in some crazy situation where someone's like taking people hostage or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember much about it. I just remember the coke bottle falling out of the sky, and that's where the title of the movie comes from. Because yes, yeah, the, these guys think it's the gods that sent them this. And, and the main star is actually a San person. Oh, is it? I remember that because his name is one word and has an exclamation mark in the middle of it. Right. Okay. I don't know how they figured out how to write that or how that is written, like in that, is that script the or whatever. Sound, yeah, the exclamation, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it was obviously not done in any of our traditional languages, but it was just yeah, yeah. yeah so that one kind of came to mind. Mm, that's um, a good one. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be cool for some of our listeners to look that up. The gods must be crazy and see if they can find it and watch yeah. it. Yeah. So another movie I actually I can make a sincere recommendation for that you might actually be able to find was one I watched at the cinema recently. I think it came out like a couple of years ago. Um, called Five Fingers for Marseille. Um, Marseille spelled like the French way: M A R S E R L E R L L E. That was such a cool movie. I was so impressed with it. It's I really really that. cool. You should watch it. It's really really good. So. Mm-hmm. 
basically it sets uh, there's a sort of like uh, the movie opens in kind of apartheid time or whatever um and there's a sort of like shanty town and a guy there is sort of like some local cops come to like kind of harass them or whatever or tell them they're going to bulldoze it i can't remember what the the setup is exactly but the important part is that this this kid i think he was a kid at the time kills two policemen and then runs off or whatever and then it's about him returning home like 20 30 years later and what this town has become and now there's a new uh, like this gang of people like drug dealers and stuff comes to take it over and stuff like that and and he has to fight back again because he's like that's his role like he fights against like tyranny almost Mm. right so it's really really cool because it's set in the modern day but it's very much like a western and it has a very mad max feel to it as well Mm, okay which is really really cool there's like a whole mad max influence where these like these insane characters like Mm. crazy outfits and like mad max style cars and stuff but they're actually like like drug lords or whatever Mm. you know and they're just like out of their mind quite a violent film quite yeah just very cool though very very the directing the whole like influence of western and mad max was very original and cool like a genuinely good movie Mm. not i mean i wouldn't say like our film industry is generally great yeah but this was really really good like i legitimately thought this was an excellent movie yeah okay yeah that's good i'll try and watch that yeah so that's five fingers for Marseille. really really cool movie if you guys can find it yeah so that's pretty cool what about chappie is that set here i think it is but it's also like sci-fi-ish. Mm, like yeah. a sci-fi kind of vibe, yeah. yeah. A lot of movies are filmed here. Mm, a lot of, are actually. So it's quite popular film in South Africa because it's pretty cheap. Yeah. And there's some nice backdrops. and Yeah, like even one of the Avengers movies, I think some of it was filmed in Cape Town or something. Yeah. But you wouldn't know it from watching the movie. There's a pretty big film industry in Cape Town. So mm. people will film a lot of stuff here because they obviously have access to whatever resources they need. And then, yeah, it's kind of a big urban area. So it's good for like big urban scenes and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, Black Sails, the show, uh, the pirate show, was filmed mostly here. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, which is kind of cool because there's so many people with South African accents in that movie. Oh, yeah. And sometimes they just let them slip. You yeah. know, <laughs> there's like a, you sort of hear and you're like, wait a minute, because they got like a British accent or something, and then they just let some South Africanism slip, and you're like, hey. Isn't there a lethal weapon where the baddies are South African? Oh, all the time, dude. We used to be the baddies for so long. <laughs> Like in Far, I think it's Far Cry 2 yes. with the baddies and you'll shoot a guy and goes, ah, Blixum! And that's actually cool in Far Cry 2 because you can actually understand what they're saying if yes. you know Afrikaans. You can, yeah. Like they're speaking Afrikaans to each other and you know what they're saying. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. How would you translate Blixum? Like a swear word, really, yes, I guess. Yes, it is a swear word. But it it's would, not a bad swear word. In, in Afrikaans, it's not a bad swear word. No. Yeah, it's like, oh, crap, or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just something you'd shout in frustration or whatever. Or, or pain. <laughs> or pain, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty funny. Uh, uh, the only other movie I thought of that had kind of a good effect on me that I watched, and this is going to be, like, impossible to find, I think. You can maybe try hit the torrents or something and see if there's, like, one cedar for this movie, but I don't think you'll find it anywhere legally. Um, it's a cool movie called A Reasonable Man. It's basically a courtroom drama. Drama, but it's got kind of this African flavor to it because basically it's about a guy who kills I think it's a baby or, or a really young child mm-hmm. because he believes it's like a tokolosh okay right so a tokolosh I don't want to butcher this because I'm not like very familiar with all the cultural stuff in the country but tokolosh is basically this like very small creature 
evil creature. evil creature that sort of can attack you while you're sleeping mm. um and traditionally um people in these cultures have put their bed on bricks that's kind of the stereotype the bed, yeah. you raise the bed up high enough and then kind of can't get to you right so the thing was it, it hinges on the whole idea of there's this principle in law of like a reasonable man like would a reasonable man act in the same way so, or yeah. something like that right mm. so it's the idea of can you know the wrongness of your actions if you genuinely believe mm. so it's set in an interesting time it's set i think it's like post apartheid but like shortly after apartheid okay. or whatever and so and it's a white lawyer and he's basically trying to argue for a cultural influence something that an old man white judge isn't going to understand like mm. he thought it was a talk about what crap is this kind of thing right mm. but he has to argue this case mm. in terms of a african cultural understanding ah. or whatever very very cool movie sounds very interesting yeah. yeah and actually a very good movie as well like mm. it's well shot it's it's well acted it's a good movie so okay. yeah that's another one that i thought was really good and i like the the bringing in of some african cultural stuff into yeah. that yeah yeah that sounds good i haven't seen that yeah yeah so that's a reasonable man also really really good mm. we actually did it in my psychology course we did like oh, a kind okay. of like a study on it because it's very relevant in terms of like understanding other cultures yeah and where people of, are coming from and yeah you know, and sort of subjective realities and yeah. yeah, something that seems completely crazy to you might be reasonable to them. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. So very, very cool. Interesting. Yeah. So I think those are my, <laughs> I guess, recommendations I can make. Uh, of those, I think the easiest you'd find is probably Five Fingers for mm. Marseille. You might actually find a place to stream that or something like that. Very cool movie. Lots of subtitles. So okay. yeah, if that bothers you, uh, I had to read them too because <laughs> it's just a lot of not English basically. Right, yeah. But there's English in it as well. Some Afrikaans, stuff like that. So okay. yeah, it'll give you the full South African experience, I think. Mm. Yeah, very cool movie though. Very, yeah. very cool. Yeah, look after that. Yeah. yeah, cool. I guess we can probably wrap it up there. Yes. Well, thanks guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yes. And oh, I f- we, forgot to, we forgot to mention this. We used to mention this end of every episode but someone actually asked me what our email address was okay. i realized we hadn't actually mentioned it in a while yeah. so everything is derailed 18xx so it's derailed 18xx at gmail.com yeah uh so it's just a gmail account twitter is derailed 18xx and instagram i think as well derailed 18xx yes and patreon slash derailed 18xx hey there we go yeah. it comes full patreon.com slash derailed 18xx yeah perfect so everything out there is just derailed 18xx yes great thanks so much guys awesome thanks cool cheers, cheers.